You're listening to the Pimp Cron Podcast. Woot woot! Episode 140 of the Pimp Cron Warhammer Podcast. This is the Pimp Cron. And this is the podcast you listen to for stuff and junk related to Warhammer and Wargaming in general. So thank you so much to my sponsors, my Patreon patrons. If you'd like to support the show, go to patreon.com slash pimpcron and, I don't know, uh, join us. Also, we have a sponsor that is gamemat.eu. They sell pre-painted terrain which is awesome, super durable resin terrain, and also beautifully designed mats of all shapes and sizes, all those stupid new GW sizes, as well as your normal 4x6, double-sided mats and single-sided mats and um, all sorts of stuff. So you should go over to gamemat.eu and use the code EVENT10 to get 10% off, and that's because you listen to the show. What are we talking about tonight? Well, we have, uh, I interview somebody in the Wargaming website industry, and they basically blow all the lid off of how to design a wonderful Wargaming website, how the pros do it, and um, they had to stay anonymous, whoever I interviewed for this, and uh, so they're, they're not actually, their voice is not on there. I don't have the technology to, like, morph the voice like those different TV shows do, so I basically had to take notes, and then I'm just telling you what it is in that segment, but it's extremely interesting how you go about making a very professional-sounding Wargaming website. We also talk about, want that or want that not, for the Hurricane... Uh, wind striders i think they're called it's the uh, kangaroo boys the cavalry kangaroo and uh, that's for luminous realm lords and see if we like that or not and we also have a email an email from juicy jim who's one of our patreon patrons and it's always a delight to hear from juicy and he has stuff to say about things <laughs> anyway you know you love him he's always entertaining so let's let's talk about that during that segment what have I been up to? Um, I played Age of Sigmar with my Flesh Eater courts this last week, and I kicked their ass. I mean, I wiped him from the... Uh, wait a second. Which army was I? I was... I was Flesh Eater courts, and at the end of the game, there was no Flesh Eater courts on the board, so maybe, maybe my memory is failing me. Um, if I, hold on, let me do the math real quick. I hate to derail the show like this. If I was the flesh eater court guy and there were no flesh eater courts left on the battlefield, did I table my opponents or did they table me? Two plus seven is vinegar. Okay, so yeah, actually, no, I got I got practically tabled. I had like three models left on the board, and uh, which is like <laughs> which is like a terrible thing to say because Flesh Eater Quartz is like one of the most powerful armies in Age of Sigmar right now, and I got totally tabled my first uh, my first game with them. To be honest, I did not play to their strengths <laughs> in the least. I uh, I just kind of was like I was so confident that they were gonna kick face. That I was like, oh, well, I'll just run everything directly into my enemies. I was playing against TJ and Josh. Josh was Beastmen, and uh, TJ was uh, uh, Slaves of Darkness. And, I mean, the Flesh Eater Quartz did pack a wallop. I mean, we killed a lot of stuff. But they don't really have the durability unless you're doing the summoning and the buffing, which I pretty much didn't do. I made some poor choices. I can think of one key choice where I, I had the middle pretty much locked down, the middle of the board. And then because I was so eager to use my faction trait of uh, Blister Skin to um, pull them off the board and deep strike them elsewhere, I did that thinking that my Vargeist and, I'm sorry, my Vargolf and my character could wipe out like the last remaining Chaos Warriors. And come to find out, no, they couldn't. So uh, TJ's Chaos Lord just walked around the board just kicking ass the whole time. He killed like... He killed like four units, I think, or something like that in that game by himself, and he never did die. So he should definitely be getting battle honors. But um, 
it did prove to me that there is a wrong way to play Flesh Eater Courts. So they might be a powerful army, but I might actually have to try with them. To be honest, after hearing all the hype, I thought they were going to be another Fire Slayers. If you remember that, Fire Slayers were basically point and click for me, and it was super easy to win with them, and I didn't like it. Um, I was afraid Flesh Eater Courts was going to be the same way, but lo and behold, no, it wasn't. Got my butt handed to me. So they beat me like like 22 to 7 I think. It was like it was bad. Um and also I didn't take any of the goals. I took all uh I took. Can you hear me? I'm like a 4-year-old. I took all of the uh crypt horrors and the crypt flares. So they're they're at a premium for points. It's like 3 for 170 or something. Um so I didn't really have that many models on the board for 2000 points, but uh anyway, I'm I'm enjoying I'm enjoying them, even though I got my butt handed to me. And now I, f I realize now that it's not as much as I feared. I really thought they'd be point and click, but they really aren't. Um, they do pack a punch. They can fight several times, all that. But they're really not durable. Most of the army is a five-up save. So, not durable. Also, for those of you who have been following at home about the whole Pimkron TV um, YouTube channel, I finally got the Avatar of Pimkron finished and sent to me, and I made the final payment on that, and uh, I'm pretty happy with it. And of course, I the problem is that it's not exact. The model is not exactly what I wanted, but unfortunately, uh, what I wanted would have looked exactly like a Necron, and I really can't have that. So, um, yeah. So this is a this is a pretty good representation of Pimkron, and uh, I've got the hand tracking, I've got eyeball tracking, I've got mouth tracking, head tracking, eyelid tracking, so it'll blink when I blink. Um, it's pretty cool. So I'm excited about starting to make these videos. Um, of course, this is getting to be a very busy time of year for me, but I'm going to see um, how long it takes to make an actual video, and it's not going to be as long as this podcast. It's not going to be 40 minutes or an hour or whatever. It's going to be like five or ten minutes just on one topic, and let's see how long that takes me to do that, because it takes me about an hour and a half for the podcast to make a 40-minute podcast with editing and uploading. And I'm curious to see how long it's going to take me to make a 5 or 10-minute video with all the video editing and all that stuff, which is far harder than audio editing. And um, I took the, you know, the lady from Cursed City, the knight lady that has like the big eagle head on her shoulder. Well, I like that model. And my old general for my cities of Sigmar, um, he's on horseback still because that used to be a thing you could do, even though it's not now. So I've kind of been delayed. I really don't like the general model. I find him horrible for cities of Sigmar. So I just kind of left my guy on the horse and then just used the regular stats. So I guess my horse had like two broken legs. I could only move six inches or something. Um, so I took that lady and she's holding the sword and she's heavily armored. And I cut off her sword and gave her as Y-Handler or whatever that curved sword is that the general has. And I took my general's head off and put it on her body. And now I have a new general for my Cities of Sigmar army, which is pretty cool. And it is a guy, but and she does have very slight boob armor. But her the way she's holding her sword, she's almost holding it like a baseball bat in front of her, and her arms are pressed up against her chest, so when you actually put her arms on, you can't tell whether it's a woman or a man, and uh, that works out well. So, you and I all know the dirty secret that my general has boob armor, but nobody else that looks at it will know he has boob armor, so there you go. That's a Easter egg for all of you if you ever end up playing me. You'll point at my general and go, ha ha, he's got boob armor. He stole it from the, the women's dorm or whatever. But no, he's uh, he he officially doesn't because you really can't tell on the model. I also painted two steam tanks. Um, they have been they're actually salvages and um, they were in pretty bad condition. I fixed them and I find it very satisfying to salvage or reclaim old models that are in bad condition. I find that really more fascinating and more enjoyable than just buying a brand new model and painting it the way it should be painted and assembling it properly. I really enjoy trying to fix other people's mistakes, and I don't know why. That's a weird character trait of mine, but I really do enjoy it. So that's what I did, and that is basically all I've done. I've been working more on the Brutality mission modules, and I've been playing around with this whole 
um, 3D animated avatar for YouTube. So let's see what we get done. Um, I will let you all know when that happens. But All right, well, we have a lot to talk about tonight. This will be a longer episode than normal, so I will let you get into it. And thanks so much for listening to this show. Let's open the Tesseract mailbox. Hey, this is the part of the show where we actually read letters and sometimes voicemails. Well, we don't read voicemails. We listen to voicemails, but we read letters. You get the point of fans of the show. And today we have a letter from Juicy Jim, who is a Patreon patron. It's always a pleasure to hear from old Juicy. And the name of his email is More Moist Than Most. (laughs) Hello again, Mr. Cron. I hope this finds you well. You mentioned you wanted some mail, so I have decided to oblige. My mission to work my way backward through the old shows continues. Just finished episode 40. Progress has slowed a bit in recent weeks, though. My wife has outlawed headphones in the bedroom. Apparently, my giggles during cuddle time were, quote, off-putting and, quote, becoming a cause for concern. I told her I wouldn't murmur your name under my breath anymore, but she wouldn't budge. (laughs) In the spirit of compromise, I'll let her have this one. Probably a good choice, Juicy. I am definitely enjoying those shows, though. For the content, sure, but also because it's kind of fun listening to you degenerate into a rougher and less refined podcaster as I go. Like a dementia patient, but far less depressing. You have certainly come a long way over the last 100 episodes. Thank you so much, Juicy. I greatly appreciate it. I like to think that I've come a long way. I'm certainly not perfect, and I do have some ums and some uhs every once in a while, but I'm certainly trying. He continues... I had a good laugh a few shows back when Cron Jr. actually called you out for not taking the time to Google something before attempting to explain it to everyone else. (laughs) So I guess things haven't changed. Just one more reason to love you. Who needs research when you've got a load of opinion that would make Peter North jealous and the confidence to just shoot it out there for everyone? Not this guy. (laughs) Oh, come on. Yeah, I'm, you know, we actually weighed me, and by volume, I'm about 65% opinion. Now, that's, that's saying something, because there's quite a bit of blood in there as well. But how am I, you ask? Well, actually, I've been in a bit of a hobby slump lately, trying to motivate myself to finish painting my Beastmen, struggling to create a solid plan for my new Slanesh army, and trying and failing to avoid the temptation to go full tilt on a Monster Girl Daughters of Cain. I've done a lot of planning, but very little actual work. Did just paint my herdstone, though. We should compare our rocks sometime. It's ironic that you say that, Juicy, because that is the one model I have not painted for my Beastmen. Um, pretty much everything is completely finished except for the herdstone. I don't know why I've put it off. I just... Painting a big rock, even though it's cool looking, is like, eh. And then it's got, like, the glowing runes, and I just don't feel like paying, painting glowing. I don't know. But So we can't really compare that. If you want to compare, like scrotal wrinkles or beast of gores or brayherd shaman or back hair or something like that we can compare any of those things because i have all those but uh just not the painted herdstone my heated knights of slanesh have me feeling a bit derailed right now as i read through the abilities and war scrolls in the new book my tumescence grew steadily only to plunge into icy disappointment as i reach the final page damn those points i was ready to have a ball but now i'm just feeling blue Is that a testicle joke? I think it's a testicle joke. I can still come up with something, but the mostly mounted with a bit of thickness army I had in mind is going to be a lot smaller than I intended. I think the new Exalted Seekers, Bliss Barb and Slickblade, are good for their cost, but the mass of Hellstriders I acquired to act as battle line are feeling like a pretty hefty tax after their 40% point bump. I have not personally been keeping up on the points for Hedonites, but I imagine as good as Hedonites are right now, I am not shocked at all that they would get a 40% point bump. Not surprised at all. Oh well, points change and I do like the rules. For now, I guess I just have fewer models to buy. Hopefully I can still come up with something fun. I did have a bunch of other units in mind too. A keeper, some chariots, maybe one of those new shard speakers with some friends, fiends, <laughs> friends, I'm stupid, with some fiends and a block of the elite infantry for a thick and meaty core. I dig the pain bringers, but this is the problem I have with armies with so many options. I always try to fit in too much. I like seeing a variety on the table and imagine 
a use for everything. It's a struggle for me to shave the excess and nail down a concise battle plan. First world problems, eh, Fire Slayers? <laughs> uh, but before I go further, he's referring to the part where I had a Fire Slayer, whew, a Fire Slayers army at some point, and they were just, it was so easy to win with them. It was total point and click, you won. Like, just horrible. And it was totally not fun, and I sold them all. Um, so how do you manage to slim down your armies to reasonable levels? Do you start with a core idea when it comes to a list you want to play, or just grab models as they strike your fancy and call it good once you hit your point cap? Well, that's enough out of me. Peace, Juicy Jim. Well, like I said, as always, Mr. Juicy, it is a pleasure to talk to you, and thank you for writing in to pimp, pimpcron at gmail.com. You can also reach me at pimpcron on Facebook. And uh, we also have the voicemail, which actually, we had somebody leave a voicemail recently, which will be on next week's episode. But the voicemail is still active. It's in the notes for the show, so if you want to call in, that is fantastic. It's always nice to hear from you guys uh, audibly as well as in text. So, Juicy, I always had the same strategy that you do to list building and army building as I wanted all the things. I just wanted every single thing. I wanted at least one, maybe two of everything. I so, so rarely do three of something. I just don't do that. I think it's cheesy. You're getting to the point where you're spamming now. If you take one thing that's good, or maybe two things that's good, but three things, to, in my personal opinion, is just ridiculous. So pretty much none of my armies even own three units of one thing. But I used to want to have one to two of all the units so that I had all the options, etc., etc. But as I've been explaining recently, I have so many darn armies that it's getting to the point where... I mean, I have probably 20-some armies. I haven't, I haven't added it up recently, but I have like 20-some armies. So if I played every single army... Uh, if I played one army every single week, a different army, it would take me half the year to play the first army again. So it's just not... To me, I don't need 4,000 points of every army. I probably need two or 2,500 points of each army. And as you probably already know, which you're referencing right now, um, I've slimmed down my guard army. I've slimmed down my orc army. I've slimmed down my chaos space marine army. I'm slimming down my necrons. I'm just slimming everything down because 4,000 points is ridiculous. I never play more than 1,500 or maybe 2,000. So my new goal is about 2,500 points of each army because that gives me 500 points of variation or maybe 1,000 points of variation because 1,500 is my most common uh, game size that I play. So it gives me about 1,000 points of, you know, if I want to take extra artillery or I want to take extra troops or whatever. I have some options. But with so many different armies, and this is totally not a brag, it's it's slightly problematic. With so many different armies, I really don't need all the options for every army. So what I'm doing now is I'm going to find a theme that I want to go with. Like for my cast Space Marines, I really love Mauler Fiends. So I have two Mauler Fiends. I really love the Venom Crawlers. I've got two Venom Crawlers. I really, I'm going for strictly Possessed and the demon engines and that is basically what i'm doing so i've got a bunch of possessed i've got a bunch of greater possessed i've got a bunch of the demon engines and that's more or less all i'm doing of course i have some regular space marines but the bulk of it i usually take is noise marines anyway because of emperor's children and that's just usually what i play with some demon princes i've picked out all of my favorite things of the army and i'm only playing that so that is what I do. And when I go to start an army, uh, like for instance, I have not started this army yet, but I do own it because uh, I bought it a while ago and I just, I go through different spurts of interest in different uh, hobby projects. So I saw the Gloom Spite gets for Age of Sigmar and I absolutely love the idea that you can have a whole army of Trogoths, which used to be trolls, the whatever they're called trolls, the Dankwater trolls and the whatever. They're called Trogoths now because that's copyrightable, which is, you know, I can't blame them for that. But I bought several of those, um, start collecting things with the, the Trogoths in them and I plan to do just a Trogoth army. So that is a good example of, oh, I just want to do a theme for it. 
Um, for my Imperial Guard, I still have enough points that I'm pretty well-rounded, but basically my idea is a bunch of troops and Lehman Russes. That's basically it. I have one Manticore, but that's basically it. Oh, and also Bulgren. I love Bulgren. So I have broken everything down to Chimeras, Lehman Russes, Bulgren, and troops. Um, there was a one time that I wanted to take all Militarum Tempestus, but that gets expensive because those models are really expensive. And there was some other things that I thought about, but ultimately I like having multiple troops in multiple Chimeras and Lehman Russes and Bulgrins. So that's what I do now. Same thing with my Chaos Space Marines. I picked a, a direction and went with it. I've always loved Mega Knobs for Orcs. I absolutely love Mega Knobs. So now my army is mostly Mega Knobs. They may not be the best thing in the world, but I love them. Um, as far as my Necrons, I have not fully stripped them down yet, but I've always loved Destroyer Cult. But now that's got kind of a bad taste in my mouth because everybody loves the, you know, the Scorpec Destroyers and all these new Destroyers. I always played the old Destroyers and I loved it. I loved every minute of it. So I have like 15 of the old Gauss Cannon Destroyers. And uh, that's that's basically what I'm doing is I've got the old Destroyers and Immortals and really uh, I never did the Ghost Arc. I never did the Annihilation Barge, uh, the uh, Doomsday Arc very much. I was more of an Annihilation Barge guy. And, uh, so basically, I guess what I'm saying is, is it is important that the models that you're picking are not going to completely ruin the game for you because you really do want units that will do something on the table. So you may not want to be choosing the worst units, but you should look at the models that, at least this is my strategy. I look at the models that really excite me and I'm like, oh man, I love the look of those models. Then the next step is I look at the stats of those models. What does this model do? What's it good at? Okay. If I think it's good enough at what it does that I could just take two big squads of that thing and still have a fair chance of doing well on the table, then I don't often look too much farther than that. So, um, but if they, they do something well, but they don't do it well enough to carry a whole army, then what I do is I find out what the thing they're lacking in and I get that as well. So for instance, my possessed are purely close combat and they're not high toughness or anything like that. So I thought, well, um, what should I also do? I should do demon princes and mauler fiends, not just, I mean, the main reason was because I love those models, but also because they're a good counter to the possessed. So the possessed are fast, but they're small and the mauler fiends are fast, but they're big. And now hopefully I will have both of those things and demon princes in your face and now you got to choose exactly what you're what you're going to shoot at. In the meantime, my ranged attacks are my Venom Crawlers and my Noise Marines. So I've got Noise Marines for anti-infantry, I've got Venom Crawlers for anti-tank, and the Mauler Fiends also serve as anti-tank. So you see, I'm trying to do... I, I just pick one alley, one strategy, one direction, but then I try to make sure I at least have my ranged and close combat bases covered. And that's basically what I've been doing. Um... So that's that's basically it. I've really enjoyed it, though. When I play just the models that I love, I have so much more enjoyment than when I was playing, oh, one unit of this and one unit of that and one unit of this and one unit of that. It just, I don't know. I like themes, and this is helping me reduce my hobby pressure because I've got so much stuff weighing down on me as far as the number of models sitting on shelves and, oh my gosh, I have so many armies, I can't hardly ever get to them to play, and blah, blah, blah. So now if I didn't have such a problem with being a um, army starter, then that wouldn't be such an issue. Like most of you guys have one or two armies. Well, it's totally fine to have multiples of those. But when you have so many armies, you really don't need every play style. Every army doesn't need to be a Swiss army knife. It just needs to do one thing. If I want to do melee, well, then I'm going to do my, you know, I'll just say my orcs because they're all mega knobs and they're basically melee. Okay. Well, if I want to do um all around thing, I'll do my cast base marines. If I want to do a bunch of ranged, I'll take my guard because all the layman russes and that sort of thing. So hopefully I did not belabor this topic, but thank you so much for writing in and tell your wife that she's just plain wrong. Having my name said under your breath is actually a blessing. So it will actually ward off spirits. It just... Want that, or want that not? 
Hey, as if the bumper music wasn't clue enough, this is Want That or Want That Not, the part of the show where we discuss new or sometimes old models and whether or not we want them or we want that not. Today we are covering the Hurricane Wind Chargers for the Lumineth Realm Lords, and these are a very divisive unit because they are cavalry, technically. Cavalry in name only. What would that be? A Kino? <laughs> anyway. <laughs> cavalry in name only because they are not horses. What are they? They are kangaroo cavalry. They've got guys with bow and arrows on the back of kangaroos. And that is a huge departure from anything that they have ever made. It is, you know, normally Age of Sigmar will stick with the mounted stuff. You got horses, you got this and that, but these kangaroo cavalry have really split the community. Now they were leaked a long time ago, but they're finally out for sale. It's $60 for five of them. To be honest with you, that price does not strike me as odd because these are pretty large models. They're much larger than your average cavalry and they're 60 bucks for five of them, making them $12 a piece, which of course falls in line with all their new pricing strategies and their pricing levels. Of course, to the layman, 60 bucks is a lot, but these are pretty large cavalry. I'm sure they're multi-wound, um, probably three wounds, I would guess. Um, of course, I'm not going to look this up and refer to it because I don't have this army, so I don't have the book, etc., etc. But a lot of people hate these, and a lot of people love them. And where do I sit with them? Well, let's describe them first. They are kangaroos that are running on their hind legs or jumping. They have pretty long arms, just like kangaroos. They've got a fairly long neck. Um, kangaroos don't really have a long neck per se, so these aren't quite kangaroos, but they're pretty much kangaroos. And they are covered in white armor as far as they're painted here, and the guys are riding on the back of them, and they have bow and arrows. Okay, so they've got very ornate Baroque armor, and um, they look very unique. Whether you like it, the fact that they're kangaroos or not, these models, nobody can say these models are not unique in venturing out into new territory for Games Workshop, because... I mean, just look at them. Who had ever thought of weaponizing kangaroo? I mean, to be honest with you, any of my Australia listeners, I'm sure you have. I think you're, I think the Australian army is like 20% kangaroo cavalry, but the rest of the country, the rest of the world doesn't really think of kangaroos. As, I mean, we know kangaroos are badass. They will punch you right in the fricking face. But as far as actually riding on them into battle, that's a little strange to most of us that aren't Aussies. So... I personally love these models. I am not one of the haters of these models. I understand why people would hate these models because they're so darn different from anything GW has ever released, and they're even so darn different from anything else in the Lumineth army. So I totally understand if when you heard they were getting cavalry and they got archer cavalry and you got excited about it and then you saw that they're flipping kangaroos, I totally understand if you don't like that but you have to give them serious credit in doing something that's original it has not been done before and it's unique and i really like a lot of the things they're doing with the lumineth realm lords from their dice to their models everything about the lumineth is like an experiment from gw and they're doing things where you just can't you can't buy kangaroo cavalry from anywhere else I mean, now maybe give it a couple years and some people have the STL files or something for Kangaroo Cavalry, but they're doing some very unique stuff. Everybody has seen a dude on horseback. Everybody's seen a dude even riding a lion or a bear. People have even seen, um, what are those horned things that you can replace on the chariots for chaos? They've got the horses or the gore somethings. Um, gore beast, I think. The gore beasts even... You know, you've seen those in, in chariots, but you've never seen a freaking kangaroo. And I give them total props for making this look pretty neat. It is still very odd, but I'm hoping that the kangaroo cavalry have some sort of ability where they just punch you in the freaking teeth because that would be hilarious. Also, I'm assuming they're pretty darn fast. I'm assuming they have some sort of hopper leap and, uh, 60 bucks for five of them, honestly, for brand new models that are 100% unique and nothing you've ever seen before. I think it's pretty fantastic. And when I see the, their kangaroos, they're not exactly kangaroos. So 
it's not quite as silly as it sounds. It actually looks like they might have some sort of spike coming out of the back of their head or like a horn of some sort. So they're not quite kangaroos. They're kangaroos, but if you gave them somewhat of a lion tail and you grabbed their head and stretched their neck about three times longer than it normally would be. So they are completely unique creatures, but they do look like kangaroos. And I have a favorite book from childhood. Um, I can't remember exactly what it's called, but it's a Burton Ernie book, and I read it to my children frequently. They've got all my children's books from my from childhood. And it's basically where Ernie takes something... He uses uh, Bert's cowboy hat to, like keep milk in and he's like what'd you do with the milk carton and he's like oh hold on um i put the baby birds in the milk carton and he's like well what did you do with the nest or whatever and then he's like oh i put crayons in the nest he's like well what did you do with the crayon box oh well i filled that with lava or whatever he said and at the end of it there's actually he uses a kangaroo and the kangaroo's pouch to put something in cereal or whatever it was and these guys from gw are painted exactly like the kangaroo in that book, like a weird reddish, like a light reddish with a cream color. And oh my God, the minute I looked at them, I'm like, oh my God, that's, that's the kangaroo from, from my Bert and Ernie book from 30 years ago. So I just thought that was pretty funny. It's completely a, a tirade or a uh, rant, but you get my point. Anyway, I love these models. I totally do. I don't find myself uh, ready to dive into Illuminate Realm Lords, but I do love these models, and I think it's fantastic that they've made so many strides in making new, unique, creative, being the keyword, creative models for their new armies, and I have to applaud them. Whether you love kangaroos or not, it's fantastic. Alright, I think that's it for this segment. Now it's time for Real Talk with Pentcron. This is Real Talk with the Pimp Cron, and tonight we are going to discuss how you can make your dreams come true and make a wargaming website. Now, this is not going to be sponsored by some sort of website-making company, you know, like, uh, I almost said Keeps, but that's a hair loss company. Whatever, whatever those companies are. Don't think that this is what that is. And we're actually not going to talk HTML or Java or whatever the heck they use nowadays. No, what we're going to discuss is how to make a wargaming website like the pros. Then there's very specific things to this. Now, of course, me, I'm not talking from experience. This has nothing to do with any website I've ever written for, ever. So this is all coming from a friend that told me about this. So I just want to make that completely clear. I don't know the first thing about working for wargaming websites. Totally not me. I don't know what you're even trying to insinuate, and I don't know why you're looking at your phone or your computer screen that way incredulously, because this none of this is my idea. Completely, 100%. I interviewed somebody who owns a... Okay, let's just get into it. So, first thing on a wargaming website that's extremely important is the design. More than anything, design is extremely important. And what I mean by that is that it's the first thing, before your readers even read any of your content, you want them to see your website as kind of an art form. And what it has to be is, readers don't come to your website for content as much as they really come to see different services and products that other companies have to offer. So what you're going to want to do as from what I've been told is a very good strategy is about 60 to 80% of the screen at any given time should be ads. It should just be boxes of ads. A lot of times a key strategy is to put ads down the side of at least one side of your website, right? Then you're going to also want a top banner bar website uh, uh, ad. Then you're going to want several different clickbaity ads at the bottom of all your web, your articles. And then here's the kicker. You really want to put ads in the center of the content that your readers came for. So you're going to want to just slap some ads randomly in the middle of articles 
and really break up the the flow of the article. You want you know, them to be talking about the newest unit and how great, and then, like, just mid-sentence, just cut it off mid-sentence, and then have a big ad there that's, like, hopefully moving. Um, a lot of times the ads do better if they, like, auto-turn on the volume so that, like, they're in the middle of an article and they're reading about this unit, and then all of a sudden, oh, God, look, buy this cereal! Something like that. You're gonna want to break up the interface between reading the content and ads because the only way that you're going to get these people's attention people don't just click ads because they're interested in the product or the service or anything like that um studies show that people click on ads when they're startled like you really want to like scare them into buying and that if you think about that that's a lot of marketing nowadays you just need to just kind of shock them and they'll be like oh god make it stop and they'll click your ad and then once they're there, they kind of feel obligated to buy the product. And, and that's really the, uh, the winning way to do that. Um, so if we're being honest, people come to wargaming websites for ads. They don't really come for content or anything like that. And as far as content goes, what you need to do is you need to have a list of topics, but have them also broken up with ads. So like you want to make the picture for your articles look the same as the ads. So they can't tell what's an ad and then they can't tell what's an article because you really don't want them to just go straight to the meat of why they came to your website. You don't really want that. A lot of people really enjoy being a startled by ads, very loud, very flashy. It's a lot better if they're bright colors. Um, something that would probably require a warning like the beginning of Pokemon like a seizure warning are usually the most effective ads and as far as content goes you really want to bury that content deep 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 I mean several clicks you're going to want to make a menu on the side and do like you know the main topic Warhammer and click that and then you're going to want to click like you know editorials and you want to click that and then you're going to make them click I mean people Nobody comes to a website and they just want to see the thing that they came to see. That's not really the experience of a Wargaming website. They need to be wading through ads the entire time, right? Like fending off pop-ups and stuff like that. You got to really get their fight or flight going for the typical Wargaming reader for a website. And once they've clicked out of at least two or three pop-up ads, you, you really don't want them walking away feeling empty-handed. Like they didn't have to fight for the content. And it should be kind of like a jungle experience. Every single time they come to click on your editorial or your new release picture or whatever, you're going to want to really want them to be batting away pop-up ads, like, like they're flies, you know, malaria-ridden flies. And you're just, you're just batting them away and you're constantly clicking out of them. And they're auto-playing and it's loud and it's just really a jungle. And people appreciate that about your website. Now, also, as far as content goes... You will need people to write content for your website. That's kind of a given. No one person can just come up with 12 articles a day, seven days a week, year-round. You just can't do that. So what you're going to want to do is you're going to try to use your platform as currency. And what I mean by that is, is if you at least get one reader on your articles, that makes you a platform. And... If you are a platform, that means that you do not need to pay writers for articles because them submitting articles to you is a privilege and your platform is the currency in which you buy all of this free content. Now, one thing that a lot of people don't realize about wargaming writers is that they are basically the worst type of people. They have opinions about things and even though some of the stuff they produce will get you ad revenue from the layers upon layers of ads, the jungle, the Amazon of ads that you have put on there. Even though that will be producing money for you because of the views, you should never, under any circumstances, respect or pay your writers. Because they're a lot like... How do I say this? Wargaming article writers are a lot like feral animals. If you feed them with a dollar here or there, despite you raking in tons and tons of money from your ad revenue, if you give them a dollar, they're going to expect two dollars. 
And if you give them $2, they're going to thank you because they are just happy that you appreciate their work. But you can never, ever let on that you appreciate their work. That is 100% a no-no. And you really need to keep an air of superiority because you are the one that owns the platform with the at least one reader. And you need to tell them that making any sort of money from all of their hard work is really on them. You have to put that on them. So if they say, hey, could I get a couple dollars from the thousands that you're making for my article? Then you need to turn that around on them. Um, Maybe gaslighting might be a good one, a good method to make. And you need to tell them that they need to make their own website and monetize that. And they will use the currency that you're giving them, which is your platform, to gain followers, which will then go to their website after your website. And then they will make their own ad revenue. So a lot of people claim it's a lot like a Ponzi scheme. But that's not really true because Ponzi schemes have money going back and forth between the different levels of people. And in this case, it's like the worst kind of Ponzi scheme because you as the platform maker get all of the money, but then the people that join you and work for you for free, they don't get any of the money. So it's actually, for the for the platformer, it's a lot better than a Ponzi scheme because you just make money. You understand? You're better than the writers, so you are the one that make money And they're the ones that produce stuff. It's like a caste system, kind of. And there's truly nothing wrong with it. These writers have nothing better to do in their life than to write articles for your website. And really, it's almost to the point where they should be paying you for the privilege of writing for their website. Now, anytime your people start getting a following or they start, you know, getting a little high on the hog and they get a lot of readers and they, let's say, let's just say, as crazy as it sounds, that you have a writer that is the number one top draw on your website as far as views and things like that. This one writer gets the most views. Now, some might say, and this is completely off base, but some might say that you may want to keep that person because they draw the most views, and they have a big following. But that's actually not the case. What you want to do instead is rarely ever answer their emails, or take weeks or days to answer their emails if they have any questions. What you're also going to want to do is just randomly post their articles whenever. Just It doesn't matter when. I know a lot of people prefer to have like a certain day and time that your articles are posted, but you really should just post it willy-nilly so that their readers are always guessing like where is this article coming from. And a lot of conventional knowledge that's also incorrect is that if somebody is popular for some reason, let's say, you know, it's satire or tactics or whatever, you generally, a lot of people would assume that you don't want to mess with that. And you just want to let the person have free reign because what they're doing works and people like it. But that's actually not true. What you're going to want to do is kind of haphazardly and kind of randomly change things in their articles to make them less funny. So it's really important. A key element of being a wargaming website owner is that you have to have exactly zero personality and zero humor. Okay, it's very, very important. And what you need to do is if there's one writer above all the others that has the most views and whatnot, and it has a pretty big following, is what you're going to want to do is take out chunks, just kind of haphazardly out of their article and replace it with something stupid. Because... I mean, I don't want to go into the whole metaphysics of article design and the power plays there, but essentially, you you have a writer that got popular for a reason, but you don't really want them to continue being popular. So what you should probably do is put them at, like, the worst day of the week with views, right? Like, the, the worst day of the week that anybody is there. You want to kind of push them off on that day. Don't ever tell the writers. If you're going to change the date and time, that, or you're going to edit something, or you're going to take something out, or you're going to completely rewrite their article, don't you ever tell them, because that's kind of like a sign of respect, and you need to keep like an authoritarian, like, I'm better than you because you work for free sort of mentality. And that's really important for the whole 
um, interaction with the writers. And uh, like I said, I don't have any experience with this, but this is what I was told. So I'm just passing this along. But this is a lot of the ways that you can become a super popular and um, a good... Um, a good platform for wargaming stuff. Now, as far as content goes, we're done talking about the content creators. The actual content, you are going to want to basically copy and paste everything from Warhammer Community because the Warhammer Community website is essentially what wargaming websites used to be. So they have the scoop on all the new releases and all that. And what you're wanting to do is put your cursor over the pictures and you're going to right-click copy and then you open up another tab with your article in it, and then you right-click paste, and that's basically what you do. A lot of times, if you're in a rush or something, you don't even have to write content. What you want to do is just go, oh, and here's what they said about it, quote, and then you'll select all the writing from the community page with your cursor, and and it'll be like highlighted, and you do Control-C, and then you click on your article, and you just do Control-V after the quote. And then, to make sure it's super professional, you just got to put another quote mark at the end of that. Maybe italicize it, something like that, to make it really look like you are doing some sort of journalism. And even though it's arguably correct that Wargaming websites are kind of not very useful anymore because the Warhammer community basically gutted you and your main purpose because of the leaks and whatnot... So what you're going to want to do is you're going to want to have a bunch of clickbait stuff where like the title will say one thing that's like real drastic and people will be like, oh my God. And then when they click it, it's really nothing like that at all. And um, another key component of having a wargaming website is that you need to be super vindictive. So um, if for some reason you get rid of any of your talent, and they no longer work for you, what you're, the first thing you're going to want to do is, even though they didn't quit you, you released them, is you're going to want to go through and you're going to want to change their name from whatever their highly popular pen name is to their real name so that it makes it harder for people to search for their content on your website in the future. And thus, you're kind of slightly discrediting this person and giving them less internet presence. Um... And you should probably just do that for everybody that you've ever fired, even though they worked for free. You just just do that because you don't want them feeling all high on the hog and saying, look how many articles I wrote, you know, over multiple years, every single week reliably. You don't really want them to get overzealous over that and have that a point of pride that they did this for free all these years. And I think that's about as much as I got out of that interview. I'm trying to think of what else they said. But I think you see that, you know, this this fits um, some of the websites and how they operate. And I think it's a really good idea. Oh, one last thing. If for any reason you ever have anybody, like you get rid of a talent or something like that, and people start asking about that talent, right? Now, this is crucial because you got to pay attention. If people start asking about that talent in your comments section, you should definitely 100% of the time you should delete those posts, those comments in the discuss area after the articles. You need to do that because you don't want any whiff that that person ever wrote, you know, multiple hundreds of articles for you for free. And you want to completely expunge them more or less from your website. Um, and the person that was mentioning your ex-talent, you should probably just go ahead and ban them from your Discord. Like, their whole account, just just block them. And if the talent actually comments on your website as well, because people were asking about them, whoever they may be, um, you should probably also ban that person's profile from commenting on your articles ever again. You should probably do that. Um, so I feel like I got a lot out of that interview. Of course, the person had to stay anonymous. They they didn't want their name or anything like that. But I feel like I got a lot out of that interview, and I think it really does open up your eyes to the industry of wargaming article writing. And I guess what the key thing to take away from all of this, besides the really chaotic website design and the clickbait articles and the 
uh, tampering with any of the talents stuff and, and why they became popular in the first place. And then besides, you know, getting rid of people that have been loyal and hardworking all these years for free and things like that. And also the, the disrespect and the, you know, don't, don't immediately reply when they ask you things and don't ever keep them up to date on what's going on with their articles, all that stuff. Besides all of that, um, I think the main thing to take away from this, from this anonymous art interview that I did is that um, it seemed like they really, really emphasized the feeling of superiority, like because you have a website, a platform that at least one viewer goes to, you should definitely always give the feeling that you you think that you are better than literally every person that you encounter. And I feel like that's, you know, I think that's basically the takeaway because it does make you better. These people work for free and they work for you. So are you working for free? No, you're not even writing articles. You're the owner. And as anybody who hates capitalism could tell you, that means you are better than them. So I think that's it for this this week. Um, I hope I didn't forget anything about that art, that interview. I can't think of anything else. Just just a general feeling of superiority will probably get you through most of these things. And you'll learn on your own later on about the the haphazard design and the the multiple pop-up ads and all of that. You'll you'll learn that in time. So really, if you just take one thing away from this interview with my anonymous source, what you need to do is you need to be 100% full of yourself and think and act like you're better than all the people that work for free for you. And that is the main key to success. Even if Warhammer Community does what you used to do and does it better. I guess that's it. Another successful interview in the logs for the old Pimpcron. All right. Well, I will see you next week. Thank you so much to GameAt.eu and my Patreon patrons for supporting the show and for listening. Write in and give me calls and then give me smooches. See ya.